Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Small Council Radio. So, uh, on today's episode, we will be talking about activations in 2021. Uh, this one has been on the list for quite some time. Um, you know, it's a very, I would say, uh, it's one of those topics that um, can get tossed around quite a bit, and you can kind of talk about this, uh, you know, all day, every day. Um, you know, what's best, what's optimal. And, uh, you know, you can make it short, you can make it long. It all just depends. Um, Got a lot to do today, so we're going to try to make this one as short as possible. And by short, I mean uh, this is Small Counts Radio, and it is dismissed. (laughs) But in all seriousness, uh, we're going to try to be thorough um, and talk about everything uh, that needs to be talked about. Uh, you know, even though we've got stuff to do today, I don't want to leave anything out. Um, this topic, though, uh, sometimes can be very simple. Um, you can be kind of complex for uh, newer players. Um, episode with me, I have Brett as my co-host. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, sure, no problem. It's a uh lovely snowy day here so didn't really have a whole lot else going on i did do some snow shoveling but uh no it's it's all good it's good timing awesome and uh you know i wanted to kind of save this topic for when you were on because i know you have a lot of insight to it um there's a lot of discussion on what's the minimum you should ever have for activations and you know obviously you ask most people and they say there really is no like maximum my opinion i would say maximum is really just uh to when it starts hurting your list if you're just running a bunch of like things that run around just to activate and have no hitting power or staying power then i would say at that point you've gone a little too far into the activations over you know quantity over quality we'll say uh, but Brett, what's your overall, like your general take before we dive into like very specifics of uh, of the topic of activations? Yeah, so just just in a, as a general take, um, I don't know that there's a situation where I would ever run six. I think seven is pretty much the bare minimum. It's going to be pretty standard for Baratheons. It's become relatively standard for Starks for the most part. You can push Starks to eight, but um, uh, then as far as Lannister, Targaryen, and things like that go, it's going to be the minimum that you see, um, and they'll they'll get to eight as well. Some of that comes through Relentless, which we'll touch on later. You know, it basically counts as an activation, but it can kind of bite you uh, in certain situations. But uh, yeah, with that said. Um, the word that I would prefer to use uh, when talking about, at least competitively, is um, activation economy. Now, that's that's a term that I heard Mickey from Stats talking about, and it really makes a lot of sense because it wasn't the exact verbiage that I used to describe it, but it was always true. I took a little rougher approach and said, you know, you've got crap units and you've got good units, but activation economy is a much nicer way of saying it. And what I mean by that is, you can't just run, like, for example, you can't just throw a list together that's eight free folk raiders and two NCUs and say, hey, I have 10 activations. I'm going to have the 
I'm going to have the leverage. I'm going to have the tempo. I'm going to win the game pretty easily because my opponent has seven, but it doesn't always translate that way. Um, Raiders are a good activation economy, but you can't just spam activations for the sake of spamming activations just to say, well, I'm going to be able to do two or three turns without you reacting. Your opponent has to care about what piece you're leveraging. So that's something I guess I'm, you're saying that you want to get into. So my, I'm going to say seven to eight is pretty standard. Nine with Night's Watch and maybe Targaryens using Relentless is pretty darn good. Nine for most other things outside of Free Folk. Maybe Greyjoys is going to not be great, though. I've tried a nine-activation Lannister list, and it's just not great. So, Yeah, I'd agree with you. Um, I, I've seen six activations work, but it, it's an uphill battle. Um, you really have to gain a lot of momentum right from the get-go. And I see the longer a game goes on with you being down by a ton of activations, um, the harder and harder it gets later in the game. So if you're down activations, it depends what it is, but if you are down activations, you really want to try to do your best to even the playing field. Um, perfect example would be, uh, you know, I've brought it up a couple times, but my uh, 1.6 and uh, and prior Blackfish list. Um, if you could find a combo, like it doesn't have to be this particular combo, but just a combo in particular. Um, I used to charge my, uh, march my Berserkers forward. Uh, I'd take first turn every single time, and then I'd march my Berserkers forward. My opponent would then take the first uh their first activation of the round to charge my berserkers. I'd play set for charge. I'd then take the free attack. I'd then, if they're still alive after two attacks, attack a third time and finish the unit off. And right from there, right from the be- practically the beginning of round two, I've already eliminated a whole activation. And my, uh, excuse me, my list was already eight activations. So it really made it hard for my opponent to recover after that. Uh, and you can do this with many combos. So I think turning turning the field on your opponent, if you are fond of a more elite list that requires six activations, or not requires, but just comes out to six activations or, um, or seven with kind of like a weak activation in there, uh, you really want to try to build it around the ability to even the playing field at least a little bit. Yeah. What do you I mean, think, Brett? Gotta, yeah, you've definitely, you've got to be able to have, if you're running low activations, you've got to have some very, very, very powerful, some very key synergies or some very key um, units and abilities. I I have been running this seven activation Lannister list. It's a Roost list that has Tywin NCU. So Tywin NCU is one of those pieces that you can justify having a seven activation list because you've got him. And he is just such a tempo stealer. He's such a such a bruiser. Um, there's no NCU quite like him. The closest is Corin, who's also six points. Um, and so you can get away with it a little bit, but you do have to keep in mind, a lot of times when you're running seven activation into some of these eight activation, nine activation kind of meta lists that you've seen with the two watch captains with the 
you know, free folk kind of spamming raiders to push to nine. And then they're leveraging these spear wipes that hit like a ton of bricks, you know, one mistake on your part, or even just some bad dice, just some bad luck, you know, on the turn where you pop Tywin, you're expecting to get a kill. You know, you've got a, a unit of raiders that are down to like eight wounds or something. And you're very positive that you can take them out. And then you're going to, you know, you're going to use the sword, you're going to kill them, you're going to use Tywin, you're going to give them the tokens and the hits and everything to make sure that that happens. You're going to surge forth and then you're going to be behind their lines and that's where you're going to start leveraging your advantage and you're going to kind of take over the game at that point. And then the Raiders just don't die. <laughs> Stuff like that can happen. You know, it's something that you have to keep in mind. And, w- and when you're at, stuck at seven activations, you've popped your big leverage piece in Tywin. The Raiders stay alive Maybe they regroup and reform or something, and then you basically wasted Tywin that round. It's going to be really hard to recover. So they do work. They can work. They're a little bit more fun. I think there's a little bit more honor in winning with a list like that, but it, it, there's definitely situations where it's just not going to work out, and you're probably going to get your butt kicked if one little thing goes bad. I agree. I think... Uh... You know, as far as, like, activation economy, as you're referencing, you really have to um, consider if uh, a higher point unit is worth, you know, its cost. Uh, Because you have to remember that those higher point units will start to make your list struggle uh, fitting in, um, you know, more activations. Uh, so for example, you know, if you can, if your army has a bunch of four point activations, that helps a ton. Um, perfect examples would be Greyjoys and, um, Night's Watch. Both have, uh, three, uh, three four point options and, excuse me, and sorry, so I guess I'm getting ahead of myself. Greyjoys have two, but they have one that has been leaked, so they're going to have three soon. Um, so, uh, you know, you have to kind of weigh, you know, what you're trading off if you take those more expensive units. Um, you can usually work around those, uh, work around that by, you know, whether or not you want to take three or two NCUs, that, that can make a big difference. Um, because, uh, you know, a four point NCU is also a cheap activation, helping you get to those higher uh, higher activation counts. Um, to ask yourself in your activations, um, what roles do you want those activations to play? Uh, as I mentioned uh, before, like, and kind of, you, Brett, you also talked about, like, just spamming raiders. I mean, <clears throat> a Night's Watch player can't just go running, you know, three four-point NCUs and then run two marshals and ghost and, you know, you know, at that point, what, that's uh, 23 points and now you have 17 points left to field, like, actual, you know, hard-hitting units. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's possible. I mean, that's, what, two, uh, two seven-pointers? That's 14. That leaves you at three points. So, um so you just kind of have to play around with the numbers 
you have to ask yourself, what is that activation getting me? Because simply having something on the field that is going to do nothing but be an activation, in my opinion, is not really worth its points. It really needs to be actively doing something. Um, for uh, A good example would be uh, um, the Stark uh, Direwolves. Um, <clears throat> if you plan to just run them in your list just to run around and do nothing else all game, they're, I don't know, I really don't think they're going to be worth their points. I think you'd be better off, uh, you know, spending uh, those points unless you're absolutely in, in need of, um, like, Bran Hodor, Rick, and Asha. But the points you spend on their their masters, I'll call them, plus the wolves, you could be spending on other uh, units. Now, with that said, dire wolves are, you know, much stronger than they used to be. So they can definitely get in the mix and start hurting things quite, you know, quite a bit. Um, so that's the point I, I'm getting at, I guess, is that if you're planning to run the dire wolves just to run around the backfield and never see uh, combat, they're probably not worth their points. You probably could spend that elsewhere and get some more useful stuff. But if you're smart with them, you know, you can run around a bit, you know, kind of waiting for things to start clashing, um, you know, just to be activations in the beginning. And then once things are all tied up, you know, try to go in to the flanks for the kill. Um, you know, it it doesn't always necessarily come down to the unit itself, it comes down to what are your plans for that unit to make it worth worth uh, purchasing to upgrade your activation count. <clears throat> what do you think, Brett? No, I think I think that goes back to that activation economy, just like you're saying. Um, it's fine to run some three-point units and four-point units, but yeah, you've got to be leveraging a very strong piece so generally, when you're seeing Lannister lists push to eight activations, they're leveraging like a Flaidman, maybe two Flaidmen, maybe a Flaidman and a Warrior Sons with Champion of Faith. Uh, if they go all out, they're leveraging like Pyromances or something like that. And these are units that can get you really big kills. These are units that can, you know, swing the tempo, push through their activations. But, yeah, I mean, just again, to reiterate, running an army that's like five poor fellows, one unit of Flaidman, three NCU, yeah, you get to nine activations. Yes, you have a Flaidman. Yes, it'll probably win a lot of games. But if something happens, you know, if you run into Red Cloaks, for example, and they don't really have to get close, and they just panic your Flaidman to death, I'm not so sure how well you're going to be able to win the game with just five poor fellows. I mean, you could, they can make things happen, but it's just really unlikely. So and I, I feel like you've got to have at least two big, strong pieces that can, that can really make ends meet, that have comeback mechanics. I prefer using cavalry because they've got the ability to have that free maneuver. They can get across the board. Um, when I run Targaryens, I run five combat units and two NCUs. That's because I've got solo Jorah, but the other four combat units can really make something happen in a pinch. They can create pressure. They can move across the board. And these are the things that you're going to have to decide. Um, but 
just again to reiterate, running a bunch of activations just for the sake of running them, I don't think it's going to work out for you, at least not all the time. You're going to have some corner cases where it's like, oh, yeah, it worked really well. You know, I played against seven activation Dothraki, and he was running three screamers, and I ran this whole army of raiders with raid leader, and he got bogged in, and then my raiders went and did their thing. Like, yes, in that instance, it's going to work. But if you're running against a high sparrow NCU, you know, two red cloak lists, and they've got Roost, so they've got four healing cards, high sparrows healing, I just don't see you ever get, you'll do damage. You'll do damage. You'll take off a rank or two. You'll get to the point where you think that things are swinging for you. And then those healing things are going to happen and you're never going to get through them. So there has to be a rhyme and a reason to it. Um, that's why you see these Mance lists because Mance boosts up the morale of the Raiders. Tormund supplies the panicked and vulnerable. And then the Spearwives who are leveraged because of the activation advantage come in and do the killing. And then once you get one or two kills, then they're left trying to fight through bodies of Raiders with like two or three combat units and they're just not going to be able to get through them. So that's why that stuff works out. It's a very interesting case where looking at other lists to get ideas to be inspired is great. It's always a really good idea. It's most welcome. There's lots of resources where you can do that. Um, there's the stats page, but even CMON is starting to work on, you know, getting those lists out there, getting the results posted and stuff like that. So it's going to, um, it's going to help you to be inspired. Ideally, though, if you – sorry, I muted myself. Ideally, if you, if you look at a list like that and you're like, hey, I really like this list and I see that it's got an 80% win rate, kind of – I know that I have a ton of people reach out to me. I know that I'm not the best player in the world. I wouldn't even pretend to be, but I do – win a lot in the u.s and so i have a lot of u.s players and even some guys from across the seas you know they reach out to me and they say hey here's this list i'm working on you know i took your list and there were things that i liked and i added a couple of other pieces for my taste uh how do you play your list and that's the important thing is that a list is just a list that's all it is it's just units put together and put down on a piece of paper you can run a list and it can be phenomenal. You could, you could win a tournament with that list. Someone else could pick that list up. And if they don't understand the synergies, the intricacies, the importance of deployment, where you want this unit versus that unit, what you do late game, who's holding objectives, who's doing this. If you don't really know the ins and outs of that list, it might not work out for you. And then even myself, you know, I play a ton of games. And maybe I could pick up one of Dave's lists. And to me, I would be like, man, this list is kind of crap. I don't really see how it works. And But Dave is like, yeah, here's what I do, and, and this is how I play it. And then I could come around to it, but a lot of that is also play style. So I think most of all, you've got to build lists and build the activation to your play style. If you don't, if you prefer, you know, four elite units, three NCU, and that's just the way you want to play, four elite units, one solo, two NCU, that's the way you like to play, that's fine. Build those lists around that. I guess the general idea of this podcast that I'm trying to get out there is don't get swept into the activation count and let that be the only focus that you have. 
you know, you'll go back to 1.6, 9, 10, 11 activations, Stark and Free Folklists worked. They were the rage. They were always winning. But there's a reason that they worked. They worked because of that leverage. They worked because of other things that don't exist in the game anymore. Free Folk don't have trappers that do, you know, one to three wounds every time you move. Free Folk don't have Stire NCU adding D3 wounds and a mandatory panic test every single attack. So the landscape's a little bit different. So just don't get swept up in anything. Stick to your play style and just work on improving that. You know, you bringing up that list with, uh, what did you say, five poor fellows and a Flademan has me thinking that <clears throat> I think Warrior Sons need some uh, a cavalry unit. I don't think that it's in the lore at all, but, you know, why not? <laughs> we'll make them uh, like a three-up morale, and then uh, then you don't have to worry about uh, Red Cloaks, you know, panic bombing them to death. <clears throat> um, but I definitely think uh, what you're saying, there's a lot of good points there, that, um, you know, we started off the show kind of by saying, you know, minimum seven eight, uh, nine, or ten is, like, really good. Um, but, again, like, if your play style is six activations and it's what just works best for you, then obviously, then I would say stick with it. Um, if you've been able to make it work, then, you know, don't fix what isn't broken. Um, <clears throat> uh, it's just, it's more the rule than it is the exception, because there's always going to be exceptions out there. Because um, I've seen a lot of people, you know, try for the six activations because they want to get all those, like, awesome units on the table, and then, you know, nothing seems to go right because uh, they're so out-activated that their opponent just outweights anything they can do, and then they go in for the hits. Um, <clears throat> And the right type of army can really maximize that strategy. So um, I would say, you know, try try playing around with list combinations of activations. Um, I know we talked about this in another show a little a little ways back, and that was like the NCU debate. You know, do you run two? Do you run three? Uh, that kind of that kind of applies here, um, so we'll just briefly touch on it. You know, with um, <clears throat> usually you have uh, four combat units and three NCUs, or five combat units and three NCUs, depending on your faction and what units you're running. Sometimes you can still get that fifth unit on the table. Uh, sometimes it's just going to be like, let's say, uh, Solo Jorah. Um, or like a, a marshal or conscript. It's going to be a cheap four-pointer to get it to that fifth unit while still having um, three NCUs. Uh, and then <clears throat> as far as uh, running two NCUs, you pretty much just increase the number on the table. Usually it's uh, five combat units, sometimes six, and then two NCUs. But a lot of times you won't see the six-two um, they'll usually opt to just go to the five, three, uh, five combat units, three uh, NCUs, rather than run a sixth unit. But you definitely will still see them, especially with uh, Free Folk and Greyjoy. Um, 
just because their overall um, like most effective units are the cheaper ones. Um, whereas like Night's Watch has a lot of four point options, but you're not really going to necessarily run, you know, an army of them uh, in order to get the six units on the table. Uh, so that really comes down to preference and and uh, and sort of your faction. Uh, some factions will just do certain uh, combos better, just naturally. But again, um, <clears throat> you know, you might have found like a playstyle that just suits you that is kind of against the norm. And I'd say run with that. Um, I can't tell you how many times people would tell me my Blackfish with an all Umber list was just, you know, not as effective as just running a Great John Commander instead. But I found a playstyle that really suited me, and it was consistently winning uh, in testing, in tournaments. Um, you know, I only had a handful of uh, tournament losses under my belt with that list um, between four Adepticon tournaments and, like, uh, five larger tournaments at uh, Family Time Games and a couple others. You know, so it's <clears throat> it's definitely a list that, um, you know, a lot of people would look at and go, eh, that's all right. And they might take it, swap the commander, swap a couple stuff, and that might work for them. Or they might try to run the list as is and then just be like, well, this doesn't make a lot of sense at all. So really, you know, you're going to want to find what uh, just what suits you best. Um, <clears throat> activations is definitely, you know, it's definitely an advantage to have more act activations. Um, it's just, uh, are they doing, you know, are they doing more than just being an activation? I know kind of saying that already, but just kind of want to drive it home that, you know, Activations isn't the end-all, be-all, because, you know, a lot of times people will just kind of, sometimes they'll look at your list, and the first thing they do is count the number of activations, which I don't think is, you know, the right thing to do. I think you should count the activations probably last. You know, look at, look at the potential in the list. Look at what it's trying to do, the synergies, the combos, and then count the activations and then ask yourself, okay, after everything else I've considered, is the activation count that it is currently at, uh, you know, to my liking? You know, because uh, we say seven is, the, you know, a lot of times the minimum. You know, um, let's say you are somehow at six, but you're like, okay, I have all these awesome combos. I have all these things that will work to help me even the playing field then, you know, why not? Especially if you just want to give it a try. Uh, my nephew, who plays uh, Night's Watch, he um, he does uh, six activation Night's Watch, like, all the time. And, <clears throat> and uh, you know, he does fairly well with them. Um, you know, six activation Night's Watch is, you know, if you're not really prepared for it, it can like steamroll you with how powerful the units are when you're only running six activations. So um, now it does obviously struggle against quite a few things. Only being six activations, it really you know there's some stuff that can really outweigh 
a lot of the key stuff that Night's Watch can do. So, um, <clears throat> it, you know, I guess it, you know, it's kind of turning into a list building topic, but that is a lot of what the activations uh, have to do with. What do you think, Brett? <clears throat> Man, I'm sorry. I'm really congested today. Um, yeah, I think, I think a lot of what you're saying is true. I think, I think the next best thing that we can do here is kind of go into some of the factions. And I think we keep it kind of short and sweet on each one. And we kind of talk about what they're able to accomplish, what they're not able to accomplish. And then we kind of go over it to there to see who can really get to eight and nine activations, what works for them. And then I think you'll see some non-coincidentally, you know, where they stand in some of the power rankings. So um, if you want, we can just go ahead and start with neutrals. It's pretty simple. <clears throat> neutrals don't have access to Relentless in any way, shape, or form. They don't have access to any four-point activations besides NCU. And then even furthermore, they're limited in their NCU choice because if they run Bruce, the only way to get three NCUs in at 12 points is to run Walder. And Walder just hasn't really picked up steam and gained popularity this version. So I think once you combine that with... Um, now, Flademan and Bastards Girls are very, very, very good units. Blackguard are very good units. Um, Stormcrow Mercenaries, Stormcrow Archers, good units. They can be very versatile. Hedge Knights, obviously very good. Um, I think the problem for neutrals at the moment is they used to be able to really rely on cutthroats. You used to be able to run, you know, three cutthroats, four cutthroats if you really wanted to. And they were such a powerhouse that they could get you some kills early. They could at least put pressure on the opponent because when they hit on threes, now they haven't changed that much, but when they hit on threes previously and they were either charging or they were making you vulnerable, do so much damage to you if you hadn't activated. They were able to create some pressure and kind of make the opponent want to activate, and they had a much better deck. <clears throat> the neutral deck isn't bad, but it's very badly missing the old spoils of war, and it's very badly missing those hit three, block three from Wealth and Cunning. Um, I used to love Wealth and Cunning so much. And then you had Surprise Strategy, and you had, um, help me out here, what's the other one that was Surprise Strategy and, um, right, help me out, where's the other the one that risk? returned a card? Huh? Worth, worth the Risk? No. No, that one was good, but there was another <clears throat> card that they had in their basic deck that could recycle a card. Um... I can't and it remember. Made you, uh, was it? It was. I don't have the old assets, but Penrose had adaptive method, um, surprise strategy. I, th I feel like scheme. we've named all but it that was cunning one. scheme. It was cunning scheme. Okay, there you go. Yep. So they had some real nice card mechanics. They could return wealth and cunning to get three hits again on a turn where they own the letters, and it's just like. I understand that the playing field had to level out a little bit, but I'm, man, I'm just sitting here thinking back when I played neutrals for a little while at the end of 1.6, what I would have done to be able to take this version of Peter Baelish and in those late rounds be able to say, hey, I control the letters. And I, there are games that I 
either just barely squeaked out or games that I just barely lost. And it was because I didn't own the letters. And I'm just like sitting here thinking, man, if I could own the letters with Peter Baelish, those games would have been so much easier to win. Like, I think that little change, maybe, obviously it doesn't bump neutrals into top tier or anything, but it, it would have helped them so much. And I think the neutral deck just, it's still really good and versatile, but it just got its wings clipped a tiny little bit too much for me. So overall, I think neutrals are stuck in this seven activation. Again, the exception being you can run four units of cutthroats. I think if you don't run Flayedman, you can run like a two cutthroats, Blaggard, that's 16 points. Yeah, you'd have to run, like, Stormcrow Archers and maybe another Blaggard. And that would get you to 28. So other than that, you're kind of stuck running three Cutthroats. Three Cutthroats, one Blaggard, three Cutthroats, one Stormcrow Archer. Then you can squeeze Bastard Girls or Hedge Knights in. Basically, the long story short is they're they're just limited, so you're mostly going to see neutral stuck at seven activations. I don't think the opportunity cost that it takes to get to eight is necessarily worth it, because the cutthroats are kind of a shadow of themselves. And that's, yeah. So I agree um, that definitely I think the solid number is seven for neutrals. Um, I think obviously any less than you hit that six activation range, and we've already kind of talked that part to death. So everything that we said before applies to that six activation if you go there. And then, like you were saying, your options are super limited if you want to go to the eight activations. But with that said, um, if anyone is on a Song of Ice and Fire stats, you'll notice that neutrals is at the bottom. But I will say that very optimized Bolton lists, I think, um, are amazing. And they're definitely way higher than what uh, what you know, where the neutrals sit currently. Like, if we were to just rate the neutral faction based on a lot of, like, the Bolton things you can do, then I think it would definitely raise them up a couple spots on that list. But with that said, uh, I did want to mention one thing, and that's with the cutthroats. I truly believe that people have not given cutthroats a fair shake because I've played with them, uh, I would say, uh, quite a bit now, uh, enough to where I've noticed that they, you know, for a five-point unit, their offensive output is actually really good. Now, the the downside to that is that a lot of it comes from that vicious, and you will notice a lot of competitive lists will be very, uh, you know, fairly immune to vicious, you know, with their four-up or five-up uh, morale or auto-passing, or there's a tree out there. So it's the most, like, inconsistent ability. So, yes, um, I would say in that regard, but if you are facing someone with just, like, six-up morales or worse, um, you know, not everything, obviously. Like, they could still have, like, one or two good morale units. But I'm saying enough to where you can try to throw your cutthroats at that um, because there's not many... Um, you know, their dice degradation de- uh, is actually uh, pretty decent. And then um, if you can attack first, 
which could be hard because activations, but as you were mentioning, Brett, if you do run like an eight act activation count, um, those cutthroats will have a better time going first, giving them the re-rolls and, uh, is it re-rolls and um, vulnerable. vulnerable? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so I've mentioned in the past with the sworn sword captain um, that in most cases, not all, a vulnerable is better than sundering. So now you essentially have like a better sundering. You have a vicious and fours with rerolls, in my opinion, are better than hitting on threes. And you can charge over hindering terrain and not have to worry about it. So um, I'm not saying that cutthroats are like the best five-point unit out there. I'm just, I'll leave it at that I think um, people have not given them a fair enough shake to really to understand that I think they are a solid five-point. You know, nothing near the top, but definitely nowhere near the bottom as a lot of people would put them. So if you are a neutral player out there and you are looking to hopefully squeeze in eight activations i would i would say don't be a, don't be scared to throw like two cutthroats in your list to make it happen or three if uh if that's how the math works out um especially if you even want to just still run seven i've uh i've had a couple games where i've done really well with cutthroats and throwing a uh dreadfort captain there for uh prey on fear um you know prey on fear with them uh, in a lot of cases will help with their kind of flimsy defense of a five up with a seven uh, morale. Um, that, and if you can combine it with some other effects, you can really start to heal them quite a bit. Um, and then one last thing I will say about the neutrals is, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, that, uh, what should I call it? Um, I think Stormcrow lists are literally like one attachment away from being like competitive. Maybe not super competitive, but uh, I think it's just that um, you know the the Stormcrow Lieutenant in Stormcrow Mercenaries is pretty decent. Um, it's pretty good, but I would if there is like another like really good combo uh, attachment with them. I think you could definitely see them a bunch of five point, you know, mercenaries to help you get to that eight activation, um, and uh, really put out some damage. Uh, all right, so I'll take the next one. We'll jump into Greyjoys. So Greyjoys fairly consistently are usually six activate six combat activations and two NCUs, or five combat activations and three NCUs. I've definitely seen a bunch of seven activation Greyjoys um, <clears throat> and a couple, I've seen uh, a couple of nine activation that take some cheaper stuff and then run Victarian uh, for the Relentless. But uh, I would say the sweet spot for opinion for Greyjoys is the eight activations. Um, you know, they, they have a fairly decent time getting there. They have a bunch of uh, really good four-point NCUs, which makes it easy there if you wanted to run three. They have trappers and uh, bowmen, both of which are amazing at their four points, and uh, soon-to-be um, drowned men, which is going to be a solo unit, solo tray unit, uh, that's also going to be four points, and um, uh, 
way, in my opinion, way more useful than the freedmen. Um, you know, they're not going to just sneeze to anything that attacks them, or they're you know they're not going to get sneezed on and die. Um, so <clears throat> I think uh, Greyjoys have a lot of tools to help them get into that range while still taking attachments, and you know they have an, arguably one of the best. Um, I would say top five uh, best five-point units in the game, that's Reavers. Um, you know, Reavers are perfect for getting around those effects that, you know, like Disrupt or Agile, uh, coupled with the Counter-Strike, you know, because charging in, you know, with uh, hitting on twos with rerolls, you know, you're probably going to hit with all but maybe one, if not all. So, um, Divations for Greyjoys, uh, they're they are in a really good spot. There's a lot of flexibility in list building. They do have a hefty amount of seven-point activations, but that's the thing is that seven-point activations, um, um, from my experience, tie well with four four-point activations. If you have a bunch of four-point activations, it really helps you squeeze in a couple seven-pointers seven to uh, still have a, a nice uh, activation count. What's your thought, Brett? Um, my goodness, just a second. <laughs> just one of those days, huh? Yeah, I don't even know what the deal is. Okay. Um, yeah, I think Greyjoys comfortably get to eight, but this goes back to that activation economy. I think the big underlying issue with Greyjoys is that their four-point units are just too good, um, and their five-point units borderline too good. I don't necessarily hate it when I face Reavers, but that's because that means that I'm not facing like uh, another Trapper or another Bowman. Um, I think Bowman, uh, I think Greyjoy Bowman are maybe the best four-point unit in the game. Um, they can just get crazy with the healing from the deck and the difficult time that you have actually getting to them as a result. Uh, what if Dead May Never Die? Um, and then you've got Windermere offering healing kind of on demand with his order tokens, and then you've got essentially four other cards in the deck that can heal. So it can be really tough to get to the archers, and meanwhile, the archers can either just provide supporting fire, or they can work their way over to your flanks, and now they're getting rerolls, and that supporting fire is now just straight-up offensive output. Mixing in the fact that they can put Finger Dance on a ranged unit, in my opinion, is pretty busted. Um, Finger dance should be melee only, in my opinion, because you only ever see it played on archers. Uh, very rare for it to be played on an actual melee unit. And then these archers end up shooting. They make you vulnerable nearly every shot. And then the panic a lot of times is like a 50-50. So you get bowmen that are doing, you know, five, six wounds each shot. Or, you know, average it out to three and a half with finger dance because you're not going to fail every panic test. That's a lot for a unit sitting at long range safely firing into you. I, I think I'm, – I'm not going to get into it. That's – the Greyjoy archers are very good for four points, and trappers with Asha are one of the best support units in the game. 
and they're very undercosted at five points. Um, Asha just does so much for the one point, especially in that unit. She's giving them plus three morale and war cry. And then the Trapper's Order ends up placing more tokens. They just become such a good, strong support unit. Um, it's so much so that when I've played against Greyjoys with Tywin NCU, I have used Tywin NCU to get rid of Asha. She, that unit is that much of a problem that I'm spending my big papa six-point NCU to get rid of a five-point combat unit. But that's what you have to do to win the game because that unit is such a nuisance. So as a result, as you mentioned, Greyjoys very comfortably can push to five, six field combat units and then three NCUs. Um, you're running two bowmen, Asha and Trappers. You've already got three activations. That's only 13 points. You can very easily run Silence Men with your commander and then take seven or eight points, add whatever you want to the list, add some Flayed Men. Why not? They, they work so well with Silence Men. And then you still get three NCUs. That still puts you at eight activations, and you've got two really, really good hammer units. Um, it's a little bit of a problem, but we'll see you know, what happens going. Definitely, Greyjoys, you want to hang out in that eight activation realm. Uh, you can do a 5-3, a 6-2, however you want to do that. You can even push it to 7-2 if you want to play more like uh, Free Folk. It's definitely doable, but I wouldn't be running. Uh, I don't see myself ever doing seven activation Greyjoys. There's just no reason to because you've got such good value out of the Bowman. All right, so um, next up we'll talk about Lannisters. And with that, I will actually let uh, you take this one, uh, take off with this one, uh, Brett. What do you think about the Lannisters for activations? Uh, yeah, Lannisters are another one. They definitely enjoy the 5-3. Maybe the 6-2. I've done 6-2. It's worked out pretty well. Uh, but they're, I mean, it's another kind of a, a cancerous unit. You know, you've got the poor fellows at four units. They're so good at four points. Now, if you're put in a position where they have to play offense, like you lose your only hammer in the army and all you have left is poor fellows, um, it is not going to um, probably work out that well. But with that said, um, you're definitely going to see a lot of lists start with like, two poor fellows, one of them or both of them having a champion of the faith, and then the list is going to kind of build around that. That's because the poor fellows do have a little bit of an offensive punch with the rerolls and the precision when they have a faith token, but it's their resilience. Four-plus morale makes them so tanky, so misleadingly tanky, that you can kind of stick them out there and put them in danger, and they'll be fine. They'll take a lot of wounds with their six-plus defensive save, but they're going to very rarely fail panic. And as a result, it's going to be really hard to get rid of them in just two attacks. And then on top of that, they've got some healing. And then you've got, you know, fealty to the crown. You've got the high sparrow NCU, these other things that can put models back into that tar pit. So just as maybe not as aggressively, because I think um, the Greyjoy four-pointers are a bit more problematic. They offer a little bit more, but I will aggressively say that poor fellows are problematic because they're just too good for four points. Um, this pushes Lannisters comfortably into the 5-3, the 6-2 zone. Um, you can do a 4-3 Lannister list, as I already mentioned. 
Um, you know, you just do one poor fellows with champion of faith for support. You do guardsmen with your commander, two units of heavy cav, and then you squeeze Tywin NCU in there with two other NCUs, and that's your 40 points. But it enables you to squeeze Tywin in. I mean, some people will argue because the meta dictates, I guess the quote-unquote meta says, you must run eight activations with Lannister. So a lot of players will say, well, you know, the opportunity cost for Tywin is that you're stuck at seven. I'm not 100% sure that that's enough of an opportunity cost, maybe, because I think they function just fine in 4-3 when they've got two heavy cav and when you've got Tywin NCU doing what Tywin NCU does. Now, again, I, I alluded to earlier in the show, there's going to be feels bad situations where Tywin pops off. They defend all of the hits and you kind of feel like you wasted them. You know, they passed the panic test, uh, stripping the abilities. You don't end up killing the unit that lost abilities. That type of thing can happen, but it's kind of a risk that you run taking Tywin because he's such a slam dunk hard counter to so many things in the meta. But I think overall, in general, Lannisters, you're going to squeeze a champion of faith in there. It makes the most sense to stick it in a unit of poor fellows because for five points, you've got a unit with Warcry that's a really good tar pit that can spike some damage. Um, unexpectedly, you can get two or three precision hits, maybe four if you're super lucky, and it'll do a lot of damage with the panic test. So poor fellows are a real strong support unit. The poor fellows with Champion of Faith, in my opinion, are right there with Asha, but I think they fall a little bit short overall with what Asha can do with Asha's uh, tactics deck and everything else that she's got working for her. Um, but they're kind of pretty close to being neck and neck. So that's, that's my take on Lannisters. Five, three, six, two, give those a try. Four, three with two heavy cav or a heavy cav and a warrior son with champion of the faith. You'll see some really nasty stuff happen for you. Yeah, I think uh, poor fellows are definitely kind of a headache to deal with. Um, they're, I would say, um, just stock. They're arguably the best, uh, um, like in a vacuum, I should say, not necessarily stock, but in a vacuum. Because as you were mentioning, a Bowman, Greyjoy Bowman with uh, with uh, finger dance can get quite crazy. But um, just poor fellows, no outside effects, I think are arguably uh, in the either the top or second slot for strength for their unit. Um, they're just so hard to kill uh, with their healing ability and their uh, crazy good morale. Um, with that said, um, I definitely agree that Ashen trappers are much more uh, uh better than just trappers or sorry than uh, poor fellows with a champion um but the strength that the champion has is that he's not a named character so i've seen so many lists that's two poor fellows each with a champion and they just provide so many panicked and vulnerable that usually by the start or around the start of round two, practically every one of your opponent's uh, units have panicked and have vulnerable on them. It's it's a little nutty. Um, but with that said, you know, getting back to like the activation part of it is you have these two cheap units that are four points, and if you can spare the extra two points, you have these two five-point hard-to-kill support units 
that are just making it super easy for the rest of your army to, you know, mop up your opponent. Um, so as far as, like, economy, you know, activation economy, they're really high up there. Um, so if you're looking for a higher activation uh, list, definitely, you know, starting a lot of your lists with just these two units uh, is a good a good start. Now, if you're looking for variety, um, another great option is the Mountain That Rides for four points. Um, he is very susceptible to dying. Um, you don't let that two-up uh, save and, what is it, a three-up morale uh, give you, like, a false sense of security. You know, he can die pretty easy. I can't tell you how many times that, you know, because of a solo base and you get too, you know, aggressive with him, and your opponent uses, like, a free maneuver from a card or whatever the case may be, um, or an ability, and now they're in his rear, and they charge him with, like, Vicious, and now that 3-up morale becomes a 7-up morale. And, you know, obviously they if they're going to make you take a morale, they've done a wound, and now there's a good chance that uh, he's just he's dead. One attack. So... Um, he is an awesome four-point unit, but you still you still have to be very careful with him. You have to pick your battles uh, appropriately with him. Um, but I think Lannisters, more than most factions, really rely on their heavy hitters. So you are going to have to take advantage of the poor fellows and or um, multiple or three NCU lists and or um, the mountain that rides to really make room uh, for your points for uh, a heavy hitting unit, as Brett had mentioned, you know, Flademan, um, uh, Knights of Castle Rock, uh, Warrior Sons, Pyromancers, something really heavy hitting, especially combined with some of the attachments. So, um, but yeah, I think uh, Lannisters are in a decent spot. Um, but I think we can move on to the next one. Uh, let's see. We can talk about um, Night's Watch. So Night's Watch, again, I know this is more up your field, so I will let you start again with this one, Brett. Yeah. Um, Night's Watch, there's a lot to cover. Um, I'm not even going to say the term OP, uh, I really feel like it's been getting thrown around loosely, and I think people are probably a little bit fed up with hearing it. Um, and we're doing this show right on the cusp of an update, which we have no clue what's coming. So I'll just avoid hammering Night's Watch into the ground right now. But, man, they have a ton of cheap activations. Uh, you've got Cold Hands for four. Uh, in my opinion, he is the best solo in the game. It's not because he's going to you know, break you down with his attack profile. It's not any of that. It's, it's his order being a really nice support piece, but it's him coming back to life every round. Uh, he's just so good because generally Night's Watch is being run with kind of like a glass cannon-y style. You've got Ranger Hunters and Crossbows are the popular units. They can definitely be brought down with a nasty charge and then a, a shot or vice versa, a shot and then a nasty charge. Cold Hands is going to be able to go intercept like Knights of Castle Rock, Flayedman, things like that. 
and he'll just tie him up as long as he can and he'll die and that's fine but it doesn't matter because he'll come back and he comes back on any flank table edge and if he comes back on a turn where you go first guess what you can just do the same thing again charge and go tie up that nasty unit and you keep them from having an impact in the game so that's cold hands i think cold hands is phenomenal he's very 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 strong the watch marshal He's pretty good. I think he's outshined by conscripts right now. Um, conscripts do a little bit more for that four points because they keep those glass cannon units alive. Um, speculation is that some change is coming to conscripts. I'm not sure what that could be, what it would be. Um, maybe they'll lose supply aid and kind of go back to self-healing like they did before. That would be interesting to see them you know, just kind of heal up when they activate like the poor fellows do. <clears throat> um, in that case, you might see the Watch Marshal get played if the role of conscripts is shifted. I find it very hard to imagine that conscripts don't get some kind of change. I'm not sure what it would be, but I think that they're going to be addressed. You've got Ghost at three points, and then you've got the Watch Captain at three points. And when you've got the ability to keep your unit alive. This is where the problem for me comes in with Relentless. Relentless is a problem on its own, but let's look at the factions that really have access to Relentless, and then you can see what the problem is because they all have something in common. You've got Targaryens with Relentless from the Unsullied Officer. Targaryens have Illyrio, who not only heals on demand, you don't have to play for the money bag, but you can play for the money bag and Illyrio, Illyrio also weakens whatever is fighting the unit. The popular choice is Pikeman with Officer. Um, you're going to have a heck of a time getting through that unit once Illyrio starts putting those weakened tokens out. So Targaryens have healing. You've got Greyjoys who have Victarion. Greyjoys have a crap ton of healing. You've got Night's Watch who has the Watch Captain. Crap ton of healing. Um, this is kind of the cancer for me with Relentless. Relentless on its own should have a pretty high-risk, high-reward type of thing going for it where you're kind of putting all your eggs in one basket. And it's like, great, I can go kill that unit. I'll pick on Victarion and Reavers, for example. That should not be a hard unit to kill. They count as two activations. I should be able to very easily kill them by shooting them with something and then charging them with cavalry. That should kill them. Problem is, it doesn't because of Windermere and because of all of the Greyjoy healing cards. So that's kind of my big hiccup, my big bugaboo with Relentless right now, is that the factions that have it have way too many ways to keep those units alive and keep those two activations going. So that said, that's what Night's Watch has. Night's Watch can very easily push to nine activations by way of Relentless. Now, it's not nine true activations uh, because you've got things like Barristan Selmy that can kind of crap on one of those activations and take it away. Um, but it's, I mean, for all intents and purposes, it's nine activations. And that's nuts, the amount of firepower that Night's Watch can get and, and maintain that activation advantage. Yeah, I would say that, um, I would say Relentless is definitely such a good ability. And, I would go as far as to say that I think Relentless should just be on named characters only, so that way you can only have one. And I would say make it the only 
thing they have because that may sound talking about a pseudo activation that potentially gives any unit any infantry unit that that guy gets put in uh, to get a free attack or a free maneuver um, and that attack could be huge um, so I think you know I mean it's th only three points to get that especially if you've already you know unlocked you know or uh, taken three NCUs so I don't know one of those things that kind of crossed my mind maybe I could be totally wrong but uh, you know it's it's something that's always kind of you know I like Victorian um, for the sense that uh, Victorian uh, with relentless because um, he's three points he's named and uh, his his secondary ability only triggers on the charge so um, he's not really getting that ability very often you know maybe once or twice in the game he'll get the charge and get that vulnerable but I think uh, you know Night's Watch are in a great spot for activation simply I mean they have a lot of great four-pointers um, and then they still have access to the uh, neutral four-pointer NCUs if you don't want to jump up to their amazing uh, higher activation um, NCUs with Othel and Corrin. Um, you know, it makes for running those seven-point activations that they have a ton of very easy, actually. Um, you know, and just to kind of touch on it, Simon uh, says that it's supposed to be like the elite faction, um, and they definitely don't play like it. Now, with that said, if Simon wanted to come out and just say, you know what, they're not really the elite faction, you know, we kind of moved away from that, I wouldn't care. You know, it's you know, it's just hearing that they're supposed to be uh, and them not being. Anyways, with activations, um, like I said, in a really great spot. Getting eight activations is not very hard for Night's Watch at all, and seven is super easy. Like uh, you were saying, Brett, they just have so many cheap options, uh, more than practically any other faction if I'm correct if we're talking four points or less um, because even with uh, um, Stark's uh, three dire wolves is still uh, less because they have no four pointers or other three pointers so um, but you know there's there's not a ton else to talk about Night's Watch. You know, they're just a great faction. They're so tough. They're hard to kill. And uh, they have, um, you know, the conscripts just heal so much, especially if you put a watch recruiter in them and you can control the crown constantly. I mean, it gets a little nutty. So um, I would say if you're looking for that activation count, just start looking at those cheap uh, cheap ones, you know, conscripts, uh, cold hands, marshal, or ghost. Especially if you take John as commander, um, you're going to be able to unlock ghost for free and then take him for three points. Um, but next up, we'll talk about Starks. Uh, Starks, um, I'm starting to like them more and more the more I play with them. There's so many cool things they can do especially with the revealed uh, change to Kranigman. It's such a simple change, but I 
I actually think they're uh, usable now. Uh, I played a game with them yesterday. It was uh, Holland Commander and Berserkers, uh, two Sworn Shields. One of the Sworn Shields had... Who would have in it? It had uh, Mira in order to give another hidden traps. had a Kranigman unit with nothing in it. And then it had... Uh, some bowmen, and I actually tried out Jojen for, I think, only the second time ever. And then I ran Peter and Catelyn. And the number of free attacks I got with the bowmen was pretty funny, and all of them got re-rolls. So it was, it was pretty awesome. But anyways, with that said, you know, there's a lot of cool things you can do because Starks, all their best units are right at that six-point mark. You know, you got the Berserkers, you got the Bowmen, you got the Sworn Shields, the She-Bears. Um, you know, just so many great options. Uh, Kranigman now at five points. You got the Dire Wolves, especially if you run Rob Commander to unlock Greywind for, for free, but then purchase for three points. Um, so they have a lot of options. And um, they have uh, some pretty uh, decent uh, NCUs. Now I'd say... Overall, if you're just strictly talking faction NCUs, they're probably more on the weaker side out of all the factions, in my opinion. But they're, um, if I recall correctly, uh, they're giving some boost to some of the Stark NCUs, so we'll see what uh, what they have in store for that. But currently, I would say, you know, Arya, Sansa, and Roderick are all kind of eh. And if we're talking strictly 4-point NCUs, it really kind of just leaves you with uh, Catelyn which is an amazing four-pointer. I absolutely love Catelyn. But that means you're kind of going to have to dive into the neutrals, either be Tycho or Littlefinger or both, uh, which isn't a bad thing. Both of those NCUs are amazing for their points. Um, So there's definitely a lot of ways you can get to the eight or even nine. Um, I would say, though, the sweet spot for Starks is eight. At nine, you're probably running a couple, like two wolves or a bunch of like five pointers. I'm not totally convinced with sworn swords. I know a lot of people like them, um, so I think at that point it just comes down to preference. What do you think, Brett? I think you tagged me right while I was stuffing my face with an Oreo. Um, no, I think Starks are pretty solid. Um, I think they want to play an attrition type of game. Uh, the most common Stark list that I see, at least locally, is like five combat units with Shaggy Dog and then two NCUs, and it's normally Catelyn and Eddard. Um, Eddard is just such a good NCU, and he takes the units like Berserkers and makes them so impossibly difficult to kill because they already take less panic damage, and Eddard can kind of... You can see what you roll for your panic test, and if you roll the two, then you don't care about failing it. If you did happen to fail it, then you can evaluate it and see if you want to use Edder to reroll, or you likely passed, and then you can use him to heal. So I think they are very strong in the attrition game. Um, they're a little bit different from what they were before, where you kind of just spammed Rob, Commander, Rickon, and Osha, Brain, and Hodor attachment just to get those dire wolves and get the activations. Dire wolves are definitely a very strong combat unit now. So you're not bringing them just to sit them on the back line and and be an activation token. You're bringing them to get some value out of them. And Shaggy is an absolute monster. 
but it is going to be difficult to get Starks to eight activations without leaning on the dire wolf. So they're in an interesting spot. So we'll see what happens, you know, after the update and with some of these new rules changes in place, um, we'll see if the meta still pushes and kind of forces two in three MCU builds. So we'll see what happens with some of that. Yeah. And I think, uh, a very strong combo if you're looking to only run two NCUs, um, if you have that extra point to spare instead of being, you know, instead of only spend eight, if you can spend nine points, uh, Edder Tycho is such an amazing combo with all of that healing uh, potential. So, and it still leaves you plenty of uh, points out there to hit eight if you, uh, if you run some dire wolves. All right, next up, we can talk about Free Folk, Brett's absolute favorite faction. He uh, actually just went out and bought, like, three starters and everything he could, and he has dedicated to only playing them and no one else for the rest of the game. (laughs) Um, So, Free Folk... And he said he's bringing them to Adepticon, and he's going to take first. (laughs) Um, so free folk, uh, have such, such a great five point lineup. I mean, that's practically most of all, most of all their stuff is like five points and four points between got Raiders trappers, you got, uh, Sen warriors, you got, uh, the savages, you have spear wives, you have followers bone. And I think that's it. Um, but still that's, six units that are um oh and uh the frozen frozen shore chariots so you're looking at um like seven unit options that are five points or four points um not to mention raiders are sort of like three points because you get a free one point attachment or a free one point deduction from your attachment uh so they just have such an easy time, and this is a personal preference, but I find myself loving the free folk at two or two NCUs. I am not because of how good their units are at four points and five points. It's just hard for me to justify not running any one of those units practically over um, a third NCU. Um, I feel like I just benefit way more. Now, again, that's personal preference, and um, that's my play style. So if your play style is uh, just different, you know, I would go with that. Uh, But just for context, I run all my factions a little different. You know, I'm not like the sole 2NCU person. It's, you know, some factions I just... I'm kind of 50-50. Some I like two, some I like three. For example, my Greyjoys, my favorite faction at the moment. I love running three NCUs with them. Um, I, I would say 80% of my lists are three NCU with Greyjoy, whereas I would say 80% of my lists with Free Folk are two NCU. So, um, again, it comes down to preference, but to get back to, like, the unit options, uh you know, you run, like, two Raider units because they're so good, just kind of as the base. Now you have these two four-pointers, 
you run two four-point NCUs, I mean, you're sitting at only uh, 16 points, leaving you with 20, uh, 24 points left. Um, I mean, you could then run five, uh, four five-pointers, uh, putting you at six combat units and two NCUs, and then that still leaves you with four points. Uh, you could run another Raider unit. You can fill it in with some attachments. I mean, there's so many cool options with uh, Free Folk. Now, you could go more the elite route and run some uh, uh, giants and whatnot, um, but, uh, you know, we'll have to kind of see. With the change to dragons, I definitely can see some upticks in uh, in people running giants, especially, you know, to try out uh, um, Mag the Mighty and uh, Wanwan. So we'll have to see, uh, you know, kind of how that goes. But... Yeah, I think Free Folk are in a great spot for that. Now, uh, Brett, what do you think about your favorite faction? I think, I don't know. The jury's still out on the Frozen Short short Chariot. (laughs) Uh, That Chariot might be a little bit OP. Um, The problem with that is, you know, we've been having this conversation. We've been talking about um, leveraging your unit to you know, get the kill and get the big hit or whatever the case may be. <laughs> the problem for free folk is that they can use their activation advantage to leverage this as their killer piece. And it's only four points. So um, granted, the, like I said, the jury's out. I'm not a hundred percent sure when you've got a unit that can do up to seven hits with thundering and vicious on the charge and it has swift retreat and you can add gang up to give it eight hits on a three plus, And then you can add Steyr on it to do nine hits on a three plus with thundering and vicious seems a little bit, maybe over the top. And again, I'm not a hundred percent sure. And we'll have to see how it shakes out. It's kind of fragile, um, but not super, super fragile. It's got a five plus defense and a, five plus morale, but it has six wounds. So it's not really that fragile. It's not going to like ranged attacks, but it shouldn't necessarily be getting shot by ranged attacks. So um, I don't know. We'll have to see. I see this chariot as being close to the power level of Harakars for Targaryens, and it costs less. So granted, the Harakars will be better in the grind, but the chariot has swift retreat, so it probably shouldn't be stuck in a grind for too long. They probably, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to go into design space and what I think could have happened. I'm just cautiously watching because I think chariot spam could a thing, maybe. Um, I guess, no, you probably don't want to run more than one or two, but if you're running... I mean, I... <laughs> I did buy five boxes, so <laughs> if you're if you're running you know nine activations, I think you'll be fine with two. I think they'll do enough cleanup work that two is going to be pretty nasty, so I don't know we'll have to see, but uh, outside of that, everything that you mentioned is correct. I think raiders are a little bit too defensive for what they they bring to the table. I think trappers are currently the most balanced four-point unit, the, the free folk trappers. No complaints with them whatsoever. 
Um, yeah, just Raiders. They offer a little bit too much punch and a little bit too much tankiness for a unit that is insignificant. So um, that's that's my kind of hang up with them. And as you mentioned, they have adaptive and they've got cards that can essentially let them bring attachments just to pass them over to other units. So it's a little bit tricky, but we will see. Yep. All right. Um, we'll jump into Targaryens. Uh, again, Brett, I know you, you're dabbling in Targaryens a bit, so I'll let you take this one away. Yeah, I've mostly been dabbling in Drogo. Um, it was more or less, I had kind of a mission because I was a little bit fed up with people saying how overpowered Night's Watch are, so I kind of wanted to go on this mission and prove that Drogo is also overpowered. I think overall I didn't succeed as well as I wanted to. Um, I had a really, really hot start, and then I just started losing so many games. <laughs> and um, some of it's me making mistakes, and some of it's drawing bad matches. Um, say what you want. If I'm, if I'm projecting that Call Drogo is OP with, aggressively, with as aggressively as my stance was on that, then there's no excuse for me to be losing games. Um, I think I'm actually at a 50% win rate with Targs, which is pretty abysmal. Um, so, yeah, that's by anybody's standards. For my standards, I'm like, dude, suck with Targaryens. But, um, yeah, that's what it is. Um, I pushed it. I, I set this narrative. I made a bunch of declarations, and I fell on my face. So that's where I am with playing Targs right now. Um, I do still think that the Unsullied Officer is, uh, he's not bad on his own. I see a lot of people run Mercenaries with the Unsullied Officer just to get two activations. It's good. You can do it if you've got the proper pieces to leverage that activation advantage. The problem is we know that trains are changing, so their role as that hammer maybe shifts a little bit because they might struggle to finish units off. Um, unlike before where it was two tap was near guarantee to wipe a unit out. Um, now I think they'll struggle a lot with that because their damage goes down as the ranks go down. Um, but it, as I mentioned before, my big bugaboo with the Unsullied Officer existing is that it exists in conjunction with Illyrio. Um, I just don't... I... I have an issue when, from a design perspective, an army has its weaknesses shored up, right? So one of the weaknesses for Targaryens should be that they're relatively low defense. They're kind of elite. They hit hard. They're super fast. I don't understand why they have Illyrio, who's one of the better healing NCUs in the game. And... Ferris and Selmy, who's one of the biggest control pieces in the game. That should be two things that they lack because they can move around the battlefield, be wherever they want. I would be more fine with how Dothraki function, with how good a basic Dothraki unit is. I would be happy with that if they didn't have strong control from Selmy and strong healing from Illyrio. But outside of that, you don't have much. You can run Little Jorah. Little Jorah is a big liability. Um, 
He is always one failed panic test away from dying. He's one shot away from dying. Um, there's so much that can just kill him. Uh, Varys, if you run against Varys in CU, you're afraid to take the swords because it could kill him. If you play against uh, Baratheons, you're afraid of Elena. Um, you know, just things like this just pop him so badly. Uh, he can't play the castle walls and honed and ready. So, yes, Jorah is a very solid three-point activation. He's a very, very, very good support solo. Um, giving them the rerolls and precision is just disgusting. But other than that, you've got the Unsullied Officer, and I'm mostly happy with it. Um, yeah, just as I said, wish that they didn't have Illyrio to the level that Illyrio is or Selmy to the level that Selmy is. Uh, a, a tweak or two to those guys, and I think I think it would help with those units being as oppressive as they are. Yeah, it definitely, uh, you know, it makes it uh, hard to use Jorah with how many effects are out there, especially one thing not to forget is that if someone has a vulnerable token on you, any of those effects that are throwing hits at you, vulnerable tokens can be expended to make you reroll. Um, so let's say your opponent knows that you are going to attempt to try to go for the attack, uh, the combat zone, and they had thrown a vulnerable on you, let's say a, a round prior, now you got all those hits coming at you and you're forced to reroll them. So uh, he's definitely a big liability, um, not to mention just just anything that throws hits or auto wounds. Um, you know, you something is, uh, we'll say, flimsy, uh, even though he's still really good. Um, you can't even, like, charge unless you know for a fact your opponent has no retribution-type cards. I had uh, my nephew charge me with uh, uh, cold hands, and I used... Uh, um, what's that, uh, card, lash out, um, for every two missing, or for every rank you're missing, your opponent takes two auto wounds, um, so it's, uh, it's just one of those things you have to be careful with, with pretty much any solo, um, uh, I would say Herakars, I know that's the five point range, but Herakars are so good at their points, in my opinion. Um, I mean, they still they have a 4-up armor and a 4-up morale, which is uh, significantly better than, like, average. You know, that 4-up morale is at that range that even Vicious isn't going to make you... You're going to still have better than a 50-50 chance, even with, like, a Vicious um, on you. Um, and they have such a good uh, profile for an alpha strike. Um, so if you're definitely looking to shave some points off, you know, I've seen a lot of people shave one point off of a Screamer unit to turn it into a Herakar, and then with the extra, other extra points that they had, get a whole other unit in there rather than have to, like, go for a third NCU if they didn't want to. And I've had... Um, I'd have, I've had a lot more success with Targaryens running two NCUs than I have with three. Uh, that's not to say that three isn't great. I've done well with three NCU with Targ as well. I just find that Targaryens do considerably better personally when you have more on the field um, doing things. 
Uh, all right. So last faction, Baratheons. So for this one, uh, Brett, I'm going to let you take it away with specifically talking about Stannis. Um, and then I'm going to talk about Renly. So, and we'll just do one each. So, like, I'm not going to talk about Stannis, and we'll just kind of end it there. Uh, but I know that you you like the stag or the yeah the stagnite noble and some of the other stuff there. So, but I'll start with Renly first. Um, so Renly, I think, is in a rough spot. Um, we did see the leaked uh, pikemen, um, which are five points, and they look amazing at five points, but with that said, in my opinion, Wardens are really good at five points, too, especially if um, they change it all, because um, I know Baratheons used to have the card hold the line, and there's been some speculation that, you know, they could get that instead of Counter-Strike, because Counter-Strike always seemed kind of goofy um, for me, personally, when I saw that they had it, but hold the line... Uh, is a card that Baratheons used to have, so it'd be really cool if, you know, they got that, and if they did, they'd be super scary, in my opinion, Um, because that would proc a lot more hits than I think Counter-Strike ever would. Um, With that said, Renly, you know, Renly does not have any way to get four-point activations, pseudo three-point activations, nothing. You're looking at five-pointers or higher, and until the pikemen come out, you're really just looking at, you know, any of the neutral five-pointers, which, in my opinion, don't really mesh amazing with Renly, or you got Wardens. Um, and then you go to, uh, you know, for six-pointers, I believe all you have is Sentinels. And then seven-pointers, um, you got the Rose, Knight and, Rose Knights and the Thornwatch Sentinels. Uh, Rose Knights, I think, are just a solid seven-point unit. They're nothing, like, amazing. They're solid. And then I would say that uh, the Thorn Watch can be really good. I just played a game with them, uh, I want to say yesterday, day before, and uh, they were great at harassing. Um, I used a Stag Knight, uh, sorry, a Champion of the Stag, and sat on the center objective and made my opponent kind of like try to eat through my um, two-up save, four-up morale, four-up because there was a tree and then Renly stayed within short range to give him a plus one as well. And then Renly just kept harassing and shooting uh, or charging in and then uh, swift uh, retreating or swift striking out of combat. to just really try to punish my opponent for trying to get to that objective. So there's definitely ways to make that stuff work, but Renly definitely struggles in the activation category. Um, You really are kind of forced at the moment to run like two Wardens. Um, Now you could go the more elite style and try to go um, uh, four combat units and three NCUs, but you're still only sitting at seven activations. And even with that said, um, they have Courtney Penrose NCU, which is amazing, amazing four-pointer. But then the rest of their four-pointers are just kind of okay. And so that option, in my opinion, isn't all that great either, uh, running four combat units and three NCUs. Unless, 
obviously, unless you're looking to maybe dive into some neutrals, uh, neutral NCUs. So, um, so Renly's in a rough spot. Renly loyalty, I should say, not necessarily just Renly commander. Um, and the pikemen will definitely help alleviate uh, a little bit of that because they're kind of like the the nice counterpart to wardens. You know, they're like super offensive, but nearly no defense, whereas the Wardens are the opposite. They're super defensive, uh, but really no offense. Um, so I think uh, you're just going to have to play around a bit with the Renly faction. I think they have it definitely has potential, and you definitely can still do really well with them at seven activations. I would say uh, you're going to kind of have to run just a bunch of five-pointers if you're looking to try to get uh, more than seven in there. Uh, all right, Brett, what do you think about Stannis? Yeah, I think I think the Dragonstone Noble solo is really the difference maker for Stannis. But um, additionally, I am just a really big fan of Selyse and Shireen in CUs. Um, giving the plus one morale is really, really nice. And then the stubborn tenacity effectively that actually stacks with stubborn tenacity because they're not the same name is another really, really, really great thing working for them. You can do some pretty nice stuff with that unit. Unfortunately, like the other Baratheon stuff, the Lightbringers are probably a little bit overcosted. I wish that Sentinels just hit on three. <clears throat> I don't think that they would be OP or anything. Um, and it's just tough with the current meta to play the game that you want to play with Wardens and stuff because your opponent just won't attack you. It's tough to beat them to the objectives, and then once they're there, they won't even risk the counter-strike and attack you, and it creates this really boring game. And again, I go back to my, my good friend Camille uh, Bloodraven, who mentioned that Lannisters... And it's not just Lannisters. I'm sure Free Folk could do it as well and Greyjoys. But there are armies who can win a game against Baratheons without ever making an attack. And they can get a crushing victory just by playing the scenario, tying up their units and refusing to attack them. And it's, it's kind of sad fake. But as far as Stannis goes, I would be running at least one Dragonstone Noble. I know that he has three wounds. And he's, quote-unquote, a little bit fragile because anything that has three wounds, bad dice happen, you know. Even Sundering and a vulnerable token with a little bit less than average dice and he can die. But if you get him down to that last wound and then just start using him as a, a heat-seeking missile, you can bring stuff down that's so far out of your, so far out of your point range. It's crazy. Um, but I just like him in general. I like the Sentinel Order. There's cool things that you can do with him. Um, and he does have a really nice morale. So you can put Solis and Shireen on him and fire shots into his melee, basically guaranteeing the chip damage from the, from the uh, stubborn tenacity effect because they'll be effectively morale too. But Baratheons are in a little bit of a struggle, but I think they stand to gain quite a bit from the previewed uh, rulebook changes, the tournament doc, or however they're going to approach that, forcing you to attack or retreat, or and, and then the change to scoring 
because I think above, maybe above all other factions, I think Baratheons want their commander in the mix, right? They want their commander doing stuff, not sitting on an objective in the backfield, just scoring two points just to keep up in the, in the scoring of the game. Uh, some other commanders that really want to be up in the mix would be like Tyrion and Mance for their shift and for their counter strategy. But you want to get these commanders involved, and I think Baratheons will be able to do that. And I think people are going to now see, after these changes go into effect, you're going to see the abomination that is Elden Estermont Stagnites. I think people are going to start running them because it's not a wasted eight points anymore, and I think they're going to hate it. So, um, But, I mean, that's basically it. There's not much to say for Baratheons. Other than Stannis, they don't have a four-point activation. They don't have Relentless. So they're basically kind of stuck in a 5-2-4-3 kind of situation, unless you're just going to spam four Wardens and one, you know, one uh, Flayed Men or Bastard Girls or one Champions of the Stag or whatever have you. But I think the movement for Wardens are really going to struggle and Cutthroats aren't as strong of a Baratheon ally as they were before. So that's where I see Baratheons right now. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they give Renly as far as a four-point uh, uh, unit and or solo. Um, but Baratheons as a whole, yeah, I think uh, Stannis, until they get a little more Renly side stuff out there, Stannis I think is usually going to be the way to go. But I will stand by my opinion that um, uh, I think uh, overall Renly does have the better commanders, but um, just with what's released, Stannis kind of has an edge with the other stuff. But with that said... Um, I'm going to close this out. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening in. Um, I hope you enjoyed the bonus episode we did before uh, trying to get back on track, as uh, as I had mentioned in the other shows, that you know I want to get more episodes out there for you guys and kind of catch up for all the weeks that uh, we are kind of out. Um, but I have a bunch of stuff to do, so I'm going to make it a, a, a very quick compared to my normal uh, closeouts and just thank you all again. This is the Small Council Radio, and it is dismissed. <laughs>